Well, for those of you who were here last week and are observant, you might recognize some of these verses. This is very much almost exactly the same passage we looked at last week. But there's so much here we thought it'd be worth looking at for a couple of weeks. Um, and so before we consider it further, would you please join with me in prayer? Lord, you, um, you tell us that the one whom you prize is the person who trembles at your word. Uh, because your word is powerful, your word is able to change us. And so, Lord, we ask uh, once again that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear you speak, that we would be made whole, that we would be made more like Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you know if you're hearing the word of God? Maybe that sounds like um, kind of an abstract question, something to be decided by theologians. But if we step back and think about it, it's actually an enormously practical question. One of the most remarkable claims of Christianity is that the God of the universe chooses to speak to us. And we are told that as he speaks, if we open ourselves up and listen, we are changed. If you want to become more whole and healthy and human, the pathway towards that is to listen, to hear the word of God. So how do we know when we're hearing the word of God? This is a question that was commonly kind of weighed and considered throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, in the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah, there also are false prophets who would say, this says the word of God, this is God's word, and yet would claim things that were only from humans. Jesus, if you think about it, when Jesus came into this earth, the Bible scholars who said this is God's word were the Pharisees who themselves rejected Jesus, the word of God himself. Paul regularly will speak about false teachers that will turn people away from the word of God. And the question again and again is, how do we make sure we are hearing rightly the word of God? Now, perhaps as you hear that question, it might feel like, well, I kind of know the answer to this, Jeff. We've actually already confessed it just a little while ago. What is the word of God? It's here. We, we find God's word in the scriptures. They're inspired by God. And, and that is exactly right. That if we want to hear God's word, we, we turn here. That's why when, you know, when Nick and I, when we are preaching, we say, if you could please open your Bibles or keep your bulletins open and look at the passage because what we say really doesn't matter. It's the words that are found here that matters and our desire is to help us to hear these. That's, that's right. But it's not, it's not quite as simple as that, is it? Because... The Bible isn't just like some magic incantation that as long as the words are read and we hear those words, something powerful takes place. For us to hear the word of God, we actually need to understand the word of God. And, and that oftentimes means we need someone else's help. You know, one of the things that I love about the realism of Scripture is, is actually the Bible itself helps us to know that it's going to be hard sometimes to read the Bible. I don't know if you've seen this, but at the end of Peter's second letter, uh, here's what he says about Paul. So Paul, the writer of Thessalonians and, and Romans and other ones, he says, there are some things hard to understand in Paul's letters. I love that. Peter himself is like, I don't know sometimes what to do with Paul. I mean, he is saying the Bible is hard sometimes to read. And if, and if that was true for people in, in that day, 
just think about for us who we most of us don't know how to read most of us don't know how to read biblical Hebrew we don't know the you know ancient Near Eastern background of things and if we're honest there are parts of the Bible that we just kind of scratch our head about we we're not always sure what to do with like the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah. We're not always sure what to do with like the locusts in Revelation. It's, it's hard. We don't just kind of automatically, I'm just move over, automatically understand what the Bible says. We, we need help, right? We need, the Bible, God has designed things in such a way that we need the help of translators or, and, and teachers and, and other people to help us to understand this is what God is saying. We're not meant to read the Bible just kind of on our own in a closet. We're meant to do it in community where we are relying on others when we're trusting others. But then that still raises the question. Because here's what Peter goes on to say after he says that there are some things that are hard to understand in the Bible. He says, the untaught and the unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. There are people, he is saying, that will twist the Bible. Maybe not even intending to because they're untaught, because they're unstable. There are people who will say this is what God says and will get it wrong. So if the Bible is not always easy to understand, if we need to rely on other people... How do we make sure we're hearing God's word? I mean, this is not just uh, an abstract question. Some of you are in high school. You're going to be heading off to college in a little while, and you're going to have to decide where do you go to church? Where is a place where you feel like the culture is such, where the, the pastor is such that you can trust them, where you can listen to them because you know there you'll hear God's word? Now, just, just to clarify, when we're talking about listening here, we're talking a specific kind of listening. It is, in some ways, our Christian responsibility to listen to anyone in a certain way. Even if they are completely wrong or they're coming from totally different directions, wisdom can be found anywhere. All truth is God's truth. And so, no matter where people are coming from, we, we should listen thoughtfully and try to understand and learn from them. But that's, that's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm talking about is the kind of hearing where we allow ourselves truly to be formed. Uh, the kind of hearing where we kind of open ourselves up and, and, and give ourselves an openness to what is being said and, and be mentored and be shaped. How do we know when we are hearing God's word so that we can listen in that way? I mean, we see the fact that there are teachers who say drastically different things. So one really common teaching that throughout the world is that if we really trust in Jesus and really trust in him, and if we really pray, then our lives will be easier. We will be relatively free from suffering. We will be healthy. We will be prosperous. And there are other teachers who quote the same Bible, and yet they say, no, actually following Jesus means there are times that the very fact that you are following Jesus means you will suffer in this world. Which of these is a true understanding of God's word. How do we know when we're hearing God's word? Now, part of the answer probably some of you already think is, well, we just need to check which one of these is more accurately representing the Bible. And, and there's truth to that, but sometimes it's not always easy immediately to hear this. And, and that's why I think Paul here gives us another way of viewing things. 
He says, you can understand that you are hearing God's word taught faithfully, not just by what is said, but by the voice that says it. Or, or to put it differently, it's not just about content. It's actually the manner in which this is communicated that will help you to recognize whether or not the person who is speaking is faithfully speaking the word of God. Paul tells us here, and this is the kind of the essence of what we see in this passage in this regard, is that when we are hearing God's word taught, we should expect it to come in a Christ-like manner and bearing the fruit of the Spirit. So just to back up quickly, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, um, this letter is something that happens after Paul came to this community in Thessalonica in Macedonia. He preached for a number of weeks. A number of people became Christians. It was great. And yet at the same time, most of the city hated him. And so he was pushed out really quickly. And now you have this small group of Christians who have only been hearing Paul's teaching for maybe six weeks, maybe two months. Paul is gone, and in his absence, they are now wrestling with all sorts of different messages. There are people that they have known all of their lives, family members, friends, who are looking at them and saying, are you nuts? All of your life, you have followed us. You have maintained these traditions. You have done these sacrifices. You've been patriotic. And now, and now you're joining this cult? Meanwhile, you have these synagogue leaders who say, hey, we know this Bible that Paul claims to be a teacher of. We are the scholars, and we know the scholars in Jerusalem, and everyone agrees that he's wrong and that Jesus is a heretic. You are joining a heresy. And and so these people, what, what, what are the Thessalonican Christians meant to do in this moment? They have, they have three different claims. It's a cult. It's heresy. It's the word of God. How do they know what to believe? And, and Paul could, in this chapter, to try to reassure them, kind of logically line up and show why what he is saying is faithful to the scriptures. And, and he has done that in the past. It says when he was preaching, he was showing them how... Jesus is the fulfillment of the, of the whole Old Testament. But, but that's not what he does here. What he actually does is he points them to the manner of his preaching, to the way these words came. And he says, how this came authenticates this. How this came shows you that what you heard was truly of God. And I want us to kind of look at that because he is showing us also how to weigh, how to discern what is truly the word of God. And, and I want us to kind of consider Three things, and, and here, if I haven't done it before, if you, I'd invite you please to open your bulletins if they're not open right now and follow along with me because we're just going to be looking at this passage and seeing the guidance that Paul gives to help reassure both the Thessalonian Christians and to help us understand what is truly the word of God. And the, and the first principle I think we see in these verses is that we should expect teachers of God's word to be courageous and careful with the truth. Teachers of God's word, we should expect to be courageous and careful with the truth. It's, it's a human thing, it's human nature to want to say what other people would like to hear. We, we, we want to be liked. We want to please people. And there's an inevitable pressure that we feel at the back of our minds whenever we're talking with someone to shape things accordingly, to maybe omit less pleasant things, to maybe speak positive things that could even be considered flattery at points, to, to say things that maybe kind of elevate ourselves. It is an easy thing to tell people what they want to hear. 
But to say what is true and good, even if it is unpleasant, even if it's painful, even if we realize it might make us liked less, to do that, that's courageous. Perhaps our first experience of something like this is at the schoolyard. I, you know, I can think of situations like this as a kid where maybe the new kid was being mocked and like some popular kid says, oh man, that guy is so weird. And like, you know, everyone else who wants to be in that group says, yeah, and they'll like, you know, join in. But occasionally you'll have one kid who's like, you know what? He's not so bad, I kind of like him. And in that moment, of course, that kid is stepping out and exposing themselves. They could lose that group and, and that, that's what courage is. And, and, and Paul says, when I came, that is how this message came to you. Notice what he says. He says, verse 2, Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know. So he knows what happens when he preaches the gospel. Because in Philippi, he was imprisoned, he was beaten. He knows that it's costly. He says, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of conflict. You remember that when we spoke, we spoke things that might be unpleasant, saying that you are sinful people under God's wrath who need the crucified Savior to save you. We came with boldness. And the boldness that they came with specifically was to speak what was true. Verse 3, our appeal does not spring from error. We were careful with what we said. Or impurity, there was not mixed motives or any attempt to deceive. Thessalonians, you remember when we spoke how careful we were because we wanted you to hear the truth, even if it was costly. And the reason he was able to do that, Paul says, is because he remembered always who his audience was. For our appeal does not spring for error and purity in verse 3, but for just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You remember, Thessalonians, that we came with courage. We knew that we might not flatter you. We knew that it might not please you, but we wanted to speak what was true because we wanted to please God. When, when God's word is being spoken, it will come with, with courage and with a carefulness with the truth. And, and, and it has to, if you think about it, because when we think of the word incarnate himself, Jesus, God's word made flesh, what do we see? We see a courage. Again and again, Jesus will say things that will make people confused, that will make people frustrated, that will take the people who are the most powerful and put them offside. And when he does it, it's not because he just wants to stir the pot. It's because he is careful to say what is true. He says, I only say what my father has told me. When, when he appears before a pilot, he says, this is why I came into the world, to bear witness to the truth. The word of God himself came with courage and with a carefulness to the truth. And when we are listening to teachers, we should ask, do they display a courage and carefulness with the truth? Do, do we see carefulness? When, when you hear someone teaching, are they careful to represent people with whom they disagree in as good and thoughtful a light as possible? Or do they just kind of throw out some character, some straw man to make that other person look bad so they can bat him down? 
When, when a person is speaking, are they willing to speak about things saying, hey, I don't know this? Are they willing to change their mind? Are they willing to acknowledge when they've made a mistake? That shows a carefulness with the truth. When a person is speaking, do they always show you where they get these ideas from so that you can check as well because they want you to understand what is true and not just to believe them? That shows a carefulness to the truth. And what's more, when you're hearing a teacher, do you see a courage to say things even when they are painful or unpopular? I'm not saying that courage looks like just being controversial. Sometimes people who are controversial are doing it exactly to play to their crowd. They might speak to one group and look super bold, but all the while there's a group right behind them, their tribe, that are high-fiving them and giving them likes and saying, you tell them. That's not courage. Courage, when you think of courage, you should think of someone like John the Baptist who is willing to speak to Herod and say, this marriage is wrong, even though he was beheaded ultimately for it. Courage means speaking what you know is good and true, even if it costs you status, even if it costs you power, even if it potentially might cause you to lose your job. When we're hearing people speak God's word, we should expect a willingness to say what we know might be costly because of a commitment to the truth, because that is Christ-like. The first principle Paul gives, that when we hear teaching of God's word, we should expect a courage and carefulness with the truth. Secondly, and this is important because I think this helps balance out the first one to understand what the first one's saying, when we are hearing God's word taught, we should also expect gentleness. When I was a kid, I remember one time uh, going on a tour of this old naval warcraft, and I, I hadn't ever learned before that there's a separate eating area for the captain than for all, of the, uh, for all the rest of the crew. And I didn't know why, and I asked, you know, the, the, the tour guide explained that at least it used to be the reason was that the captain needed to maintain a certain relational distance. This captain is going to be the person who has to hand off, you know, make the, make the commands, needs to kind of maintain an atmosphere of authority. And if the person gets to know the captain too well, that, that mystique of being the captain will be harder to maintain. So that distance needs to be maintained. I was thinking about that in relationship to the podcast, actually, that Nick mentioned last week, The Rise and Fall of Mark's Hill, that speaks of kind of some of these dysfunctions that we see sometimes at, in the American church today. And, and one of the things that was said was how it's not uncommon for pastors, especially kind of more celebrity pastors, to try to maintain a certain relational distance from the congregation. Because with that distance, the more that you are distant, the more that you're able to manage your reputation, the more that you're able to kind of manage a certain place of authority and the pastor who speaks with authority. What's, what's interesting to me is that is the very opposite of how Paul sought to convince the Thessalonians of the word of God. Notice where this goes in, in verse um, 6. We didn't seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. We could have thrown our weight around, Paul is saying. We could have said, hey, we are the apostles. You need to listen to us. Don't ask, ask questions. We're the authority, and you're not. That should be enough for you. But that's, that's not what he does. He doesn't just hide behind the relational distance of his authority position. No, what does he do? Verse 7, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care 
of her own children. Being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. There is literally no less distance possible than there is between a nursing mother and her infant. Paul is saying we didn't hide, we didn't keep ourselves at arm's length. We, we let you in. You, you saw me when I was in my kind of unshowered, ratty t-shirt, kind of haven't slept for a while stage, so I couldn't think very well. You saw me in my weakness. And the reason is because I'm convinced that the gospel actually shines through weakness and not through some pretense of authority. I, I, I sought to give myself to you. We served you rather than expecting something to kind of like to reinforce our position of greatness because that's how the gospel comes. We came with gentleness and with openness and transparency inviting you in. And again, that has to be the way it is when God's word is communicated, if it's being communicated rightly, because that is how Jesus is. When, when Jesus is seeking to make his word known and you have these people who barely know him, say, you know, we want to learn about you. Jesus is saying, all right, stay at a distance. If you listen to my preaching and take notes, maybe someday you can maybe get close. No, what does he say? He says, come and see. He invites the disciples into his life and he is patient with them, though they make mistakes again and again and again. He invites questions. What does Isaiah tell us about Jesus? It says that he does not shout out, or demand that his voice is heard, a bruised reed he will not break. Jesus was patient. Rather than just demanding people just immediately listened without any question, he invited exploration, he invited discovery. He said, come and see. Combined with his truthfulness was gentleness. And that also is how we should expect God's word to be proclaimed. That when we are encountering teachers or even when we're encountering a church, we should expect not this kind of authoritative, don't ask questions, don't think, we're the experts, you're not, just fall into line. That is not the gentleness that we see modeled here with Paul. No, what we should see is this openness, this willingness for there to be discovery and questions and confusion and process and patience because in the end, we believe that the gospel will speak through weakness and not through some pretense, some expectation of reverence because of distance. When, when God's word is proclaimed, it's proclaimed with gentleness. And then finally, third, what we see here is that we should expect when God's word is teach for it to be accompanied by the fruit of the Spirit. So Paul goes on, he says, you know, we open up our lives to you. And then he, he says, and, and do you remember what you saw when we did? You remember, brothers, verse 9, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Verse 10, you are witnesses and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you. In other words, you remember, you saw, you saw us with all of our warts and all of our weaknesses and you saw that we have a generous love towards you. You saw integrity, that, that we truly believe what we say we believe. You saw the Holy Spirit at work in us. And not only does Paul point to the work of the Spirit in his life, but he reminds them of the work of the Spirit 
in their lives. So verse 13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of man, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Do you hear that? He's saying, you're feeling it right now. You have seen the effect. God's word is changing you. He, he said in chapter one what this change was like, how, how there is a new faith that you have that is active, a new love for each other, a new enduring hope, even in the midst of persecution. You are seeing the work of the spirit in your lives, and that shows you that this is real. Jesus himself says in the Sermon on the Mount, here's how we discern false teachers from true ones. You will judge a tree by its fruit. If there's bad fruit, you know it's a bad tree. In the same way, if you don't see good fruit of righteousness, that tells you something about the message that's being proclaimed. If this message is truly of God's word, then the people who are proclaiming it, if they believe it, should be changed by it. And if this message is God's word, then the people who hear it, if they believe it, should be changed by it. If, if when we're hearing someone proclaim God's word, do they speak with a kind of cruelty towards those with whom they disagree? Or is there kindness? Is there a love towards the people that they are connected with? Is there a peaceableness? Is there cynicism or is there joy? we should see spiritual fruit. And in the same way, when, when there are hearers, when people are hearing a message, do we see a, a pridefulness, an intolerance, a judgmentalism towards other people who are dumber than they are? Do we see a divisiveness, a cruelty, or do we see humility? Do we see a growing love for each other and love for the world around us? Jesus says, you will know a tree by its fruits. And when we're trying to weigh up and discern where we are seeing God's word being faithfully taught, Jesus says, look for the fruit. Do we see the work of the Spirit in both the teacher and the hearers? That is a sign that this comes from me, Jesus is saying. How do we know when we are hearing God's word? We are told here as Paul seeks to help the Thessalonians know this truly was God's word. We see that it matters not just the content but how it comes, that it comes with, with carefulness and courage, that it comes with gentleness, that it comes in both of those ways that are Christ-like and also it comes with the work of the Spirit. This is exactly what we should expect, that when God speaks, he speaks through Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Now, to be clear, we should recognize that in our day when Christ hasn't returned and there's still sin in all of us, that we will never see this perfectly. There will always be failing in the teacher, always be failing in the hearers. And yet this helps us to know how we should weigh things. So often we are distracted by intellectual firepower, by cleverness, by charisma, by humor. All of those things are good, but none of those things are what we should be looking for if we're wanting to hear God's word. We should be looking for Christ. We should be looking for the work of his spirit. Now, there is a meta-ness right now that maybe you are feeling, I certainly am feeling, that right now I am trying to proclaim God's word about how you should listen to people proclaiming God's word. And so that feels strange, but yet at the same time, I have to say, as I thought about it, there's an appropriateness to this, because this is the standard that you should be holding me to. 
This is the standard you should be holding Nick to. And this is the standard we should be holding us as a church to, that we are people who are careful with the truth and willing to be courageous, that we are a people who are gentle and we long to see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives because we should not mess around with the Word of God. It is powerful and we want to treat it rightly. But as one final application, I want to just say, Though the emphasis here has been on how we do depend on others to help us hear God's word, in the end, ultimately, the person who most is responsible for teaching you or helping you to hear God's word is yourself. You are the person who is going to be reading the Bible on your own, or even right now, you are the person who are weighing things up. And so let me encourage you to just consider this as we conclude. Does your own reading, does your own listening to God's word display these very things that Paul sets before us here. When you read God's word, are you able to notice those things that confront you, that challenge you, that confuse you? Or do you find the Bible just confirming things that you already believed? That, that shows whether or not you're willing to read with courage. When you read God's word, are you able to read it with a kind of gentleness where you are willing to be honest about your confusion, where you're willing to be honest about your lack of faith, and you are allowing it to speak to you and move you in in the timing that God has rather than just kind of pretending that you believe everything immediately? And, And as you read God's word, is it just this information transfer, or do you see the work of the Spirit changing you slowly but truly? Our God says that this is the one that he prizes, the one who trembles at his word. And so as we conclude, I invite you to just spend a moment seeking to listen, to to listen to these verses, to listen to what God is saying, where, where maybe he has provoked us to repent. I invite you to spend any time in confession, asking God for help, and then in a moment's time I will lead us in prayer. But let's spend a couple minutes in silent prayer for right now.